You're listening to the Truth and Boots podcast. Join me as we search the Bible for truth about our God, for hope to encourage us through hard trials and struggles, and for answers for anyone who questions our faith. The truth of God's Word is not fragile, impractical, and only used on special occasions like a pair of stiletto heels. God's Word, like a pair of sturdy boots, is meant to be put to work daily and is designed to protect us and help us through the mud, streams, and rocks of life. God's Word is under attack. There are all sorts of accusations against it, like miracles didn't happen. God didn't create the universe in six days. Jesus is definitely not God. And there are tons of errors in it because of the copies and copies and copies it's had over the thousands of years. With all of these accusations, I want to give you a series of podcasts that seek to give you the facts, the scripture, and the reasoning to be able to defend your faith in God's word. It is true. It is reliable. We'll cover topics such as evidence from preservation, from scripture, from prophecy, from archaeology. We'll answer the questions, who determine which books are in the Bible? What's the deal with all our translations? And is the Bible full of contradictions? Now, as a side note, I don't have time to go through the Bible and science because that is such a huge topic with all the different fields of science. But go to truthandboots.com and go to the resource page. There's links to other websites that will definitely be able to answer your questions on the Bible and science. Have you ever been confronted with these statements? The Old Testament was written over a period of 1,500 years, with the last book being written around 400 BC. So with that large of a stretch of time, how can you be certain that what Moses wrote originally is what you hold in your hand today? Or how about this comment? The New Testament is full of 400,000 errors and changes made by copiers throughout the centuries. So with these problems with the Bible, why should you listen to it? Today, I'd like to cover the topic of the reliability of the Bible evidence from preservation. We'll discuss the preservation of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. Now first, let's cover the Old Testament. In archaeology, there is apparently a statement from an Egyptian scribe about the time of Moses that said his work was copied revised, compared, and verified sign for sign. So that seems to indicate that even back at the time of Moses, scribes seriously took their work and wanted to ensure that they did copy things accurately. Now that was secular scribes. But it wasn't the ancient Egyptians that copied the Old Testament. No, it was the Jews who believed in the sacredness of the text. You see this actually in scripture with how reverently the word of God is handled. But let's take a look at the rabbinic tradition in the Talmud. The Talmud is um, a basically guidelines from the rabbis in interpretation and practices. And in the Talmud, there is a set of rules on how the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was to be copied. 
this a copy of the Talmud, not, not the Talmud, the Torah, copy of the Torah takes about 2,000 hours to write. That is one working year here in the U.S. Um, a scribe has to be an adult, a male Jew, and he has to have gone special training and certification in order to be a scribe of the Torah. Um, what the Torah is written on is a parchment that's prepared from specific animal hides. It has to be a kosher animal hide. It can't be paper um, from papyrus because that deteriorates too easily. Um, and I think there's other more religious significance too. I don't remember exactly what those were. Um, no metal can be used in the making of a Torah because metal was used in warfare and therefore it was not kosher. Um, the scribe can't write even one letter in the Torah scroll by heart. He has to have a second kosher scroll opened before him at all times. Now, kosher is holy. It's acceptable. Um, so it is an accurate scroll that he's writing from. The Talmud says that the scribe must pronounce every single word out loud before copying it from the correct text. So, for example, he would say for the Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He would start with, by saying in, and then write in, the, and then he would write the, beginning, then he would write the beginning. So, he's very deliberate about what he's writing. Now, after he writes it all down, the Torah scroll is considered non-kosher, non-holy, if even a single letter is added or deleted. If there isn't any su sufficient white space surrounding the letter, so it kind of morphs into another letter, um, or there's too much space. Um, if a single letter was so marred that you can't, that a child wouldn't be able to read it, and it's not kosher if there isn't enough space between two words or if one word can be mistaken for two. So it has to be very clear, very precise. Now, if there's any mistake found in a scroll, it cannot be used. It has to be either fixed within 30 days. So they take out that piece of the scroll that was erroneous that had the incorrectness or even slight smudge on it they have to take that out and put in a new one or the entire scroll has to be buried within 30 days now as you can imagine a Torah scroll that has any error in it would not make it very far i mean it, it it's such a sacred duty for them to keep correct copies that there's a very big certainty that what we were copied, what was being copied was accurate. And when you consider that um, when a Torah scroll got older and slightly deteriorated, it had to also be buried so that it could not be used as a source for new scrolls and thus have possibility of, you know, words being eliminated because of a tear or something or deterioration or fading. Um, that scroll has to be buried so it cannot be used. So for hundreds of years, we didn't really have that ancients of text to compare stuff with. 
And that was a major um, level of contention amongst non-believers saying, hey, you have nothing to compare it with. It's a recent writing. It was fluid. It's not solid. It's got tons of errors in it. You can't be certain because about 1000 AD was the most recent copy we had of the complete um, Old Testament text, not just the Torah. Well, that changed in 1947 when a Bedouin in the Judean desert discovered caves that contained hundreds of manuscripts. This was the Dead Sea Scrolls find. It includes a portion of every single Old Testament book except the Book of Esther. And one of the more exciting finds was a complete text of Isaiah. Um, a lot of these were fragments because they deteriorated over the couple thousand years. Um, and all of these, let me put that back out there. All of these scrolls were dated to about 200 BC to the time of Christ. So 50 AD, 100 AD. It's a span of two, 300 years that they're dated to. But most of them were written before the time of Christ. Um, Isaiah, though, it's dated to approximately 125 years before Christ. And I said before that there's a complete text of the Old Testament about 1000 AD. Um, and Isaiah is in 95% agreement with that Masoretic text. And most of the variations are just spelling and grammatical corrections. So imagine this with me. We have, yes, portions of all the prophets, Psalms, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of this, prophesying a Messiah to come. And then we have the complete book of Isaiah, including Isaiah 53. And it's verified dating before Christ was ever born. And even secular historians uh, date Christ to, you know, the first century AD. So we have all these prophecies concerning him. And then he actually came to earth and fulfilled all those prophecies. It's a really huge encouragement that you can use when communicating with other people saying, okay, these prophecies were actually fulfilled and they were written before Christ was ever born. It wasn't an after the fact thing. Now, a note out here, some secular scholars claim that the Dead Sea Scrolls demonstrate that the Old Testament was still fluid. It wasn't actually solidified and um, one true writing of it. They say it was still fluid at the time of Christ and that's what the Dead Sea Scrolls demonstrate. Now, I am no Hebrew scholar. But I did some research, and according to several sources, um, it all depends on how you want to interpret things. Um, there's this one particular thesis for a doctoral student who is a Hebrew scholar, and I linked to it in the bibliography, um, in the show notes. But he demonstrates that the Old Testament was not fluid, that it did follow the quote-unquote Masoretic tradition. And you can see the full details of that in the show notes if you want. But I just want you to be aware of that, 
that there is an argument out there against the Dead Sea Scrolls and that they don't demonstrate reliability. But according to the more conservative scholars of Hebrew, they do. Okay, so New Testament preservation. The earliest manuscripts for the New Testament, uh, we have 11 fragments dating to the second century. That is about 180 to 200 AD. Um, there's fragments, so not a complete book, not a complete text of a Bible, uh, the book of the Bible, but fragments of, 11 fragments of the New Testament. Now, the earliest one is John, a fragment of John that dates to about 40 years after the Apostle John first wrote it. So that was a very exciting find. Um, now, you may have heard about a fragment of Mark that was recently found, and possibility that that was dated to the first century, so very close to, you know, the apostles' time. But it's since been confirmed that it's probably a second century writing. Um, there are more complete manuscripts of entire books of New Testament that are from the 2nd and 3rd centuries. We're talking a complete work of John, a complete work of the Book of Romans. And if you are interested in a complete one book containing all of the New Testament and large portions of the Old Testament, there are two codexes, um, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, from about 400 AD. So there are a lot of Greek texts from very close to the apostles. Abundance of manuscripts. There's approximately two, $25,000, $25,000. There's approximately 25,000 early manuscripts of various languages. Um, 5,600 or the estimate for the Greek manuscripts, and at least 10,000 in Latin, because um, Greek was no longer the common language. They translated the transition to Latin after the time of Christ. So there's a lot more in Latin than in Greek. Um, but there's still a lot of manuscripts. Now compare that to some of the other ancient works out there. There's tables you can go find online of these ancient works. But Aristotle's Poetics has only five manuscripts available. And the oldest one we have was copied 1,400 years after the original writing. Um, Homer's Poetry, the Iliad, the Odyssey. It is the closest Old Testament, not Old Testament, the closest ancient writing that comes in numbers to the New Testament, but it's still vastly off. I said about 5,600 New Testament manuscripts in Greek with over 25,000 early manuscripts in various languages. Aristotle has, not, excuse me, Homer has less than 2,400 copies in various languages with the oldest manuscripts 400 years after he first wrote it. And that is the closest. We have things from Herodotus and other ancient writers, but Homer's 2,400 copies in various languages is the closest that ever reaches the New Testament. 
So we have a lot more at our fingertips for the New Testament than any of these other ancient texts. And if that is enough, the actual manuscripts aren't enough. Um, the early church fathers quoted the New Testament extensively in their writings. And we're talking church fathers from the first century, the second century, the third century. There are more than a million quotes by some estimates. And some people claim that all of these quotes, you can mostly recreate the New Testament. One person says 95% from these quotes. So there's a lot of early manuscripts. There's a huge abundance of manuscripts. And the manuscripts are accurate. I gave you the statistic, the fact, both Christian scholars and non-believers agree about this. 400,000 variants from the modern count. Now there's a 200,000 figure out there, but that's from the 60s. And we've discovered more Greek manuscripts since then. So the count today of the variants in the New Testament manuscripts, Greek New Testament manuscripts, is about 400,000. Now that does seem like a lot. But when you actually look at it, most of the variants are simple grammar and spelling changes. For example, the British spell color c-o-l-o-u-r and while we in america spell color c-o-l-o-r so that's a spelling variant that if you looked at greek you could find based on regions based on um dating that there's a spelling change going on for the same exact word a grammar change would be like, thou hast water, versus the more modern, you have water. But it's probably more common in the Greek to find something like, ice cream, have I, versus I have ice cream. Because in the Greek, you can jumble up a sentence, and it still says the exact same thing, you just put a different emphasis on it. So you can transpose two words, and it doesn't change the sentence at all. It just is a transposition. So that would be a grammatical change. Now, the Greek scholars that I've looked at, the conservative Greek scholars, say that really only 400 to 600 of these variants actually translate into another language. So going back to our spelling example of the word color, obviously if there's a different spelling in Greek, we don't care about that in English. So it would not affect our translations, our understanding of the original text. Same thing with how the Greeks put an order in of the words. I mean, if it, there's a grammar change like that, um, it wouldn't make it into English because we don't care. It doesn't affect the translation. So the 400,000 variants that you hear a quote out there, only four to 600 make it into different languages. And another scholar estimates that only about 50 of these are really significant for consideration. So we went from 400,000 to 50. Now I did a bit of math because after all, I am an accountant. And 
There's approximately 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament. So if those 50 variants are just one word variants, then we're talking 0.04% of the New Testament has a variant in it. Or if we're saying each variant is 10 words, so obviously they're going to be anywhere from one to maybe 20 words per variant, but most likely they're in the one range. But even if we're more conservative and say there's 10 words in each variant, that's still 0.4% of the entire New Testament. So less than 1% of the New Testament that we have, the Greek New Testament, less than 1% has a variant in it. That is of any concern to us. That is incredibly accurate. So next time someone quotes to you that 400,000 statistic, don't let it shake your faith. Your copy of the Bible is definitely accurate. Okay, so this was a quick high-level discussion. It's by no means complete. You could spend your entire lifetime studying this. So go to the show notes, look at the various bibliography um, references that I have for you. And also there's a resource page at truthandboots.com that you can go to for extra resources if you want more information on this topic. I would suggest you start with defendinginerrancy.com. That's a great website dedicated to providing Christians with the knowledge for solid foundation in biblical inerrancy. Don't doubt your Bible. It is true. It is reliable. It is inspired by God and given to you so that you can know His Word.